0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Hermeneutics 101 podcast. It is Saturday, June the 1st, 2019. It is currently 8.20 a.m. Central Time. Well, within Christianity, it is very common to hear sermon after sermon, to read book after book, to read magazine article after magazine article, To read devotional after devotional, to hear radio broadcast after radio broadcast, and to hear podcast after podcast, that all seem to have two goals in mind. All of these sermons, all of these books, all of these devotionals, all of these podcasts, all of these radio broadcasts, and they all seem to have two goals in mind. Now, what are these two goals? Goal number one is to try to encourage Christians to actually read and study the Bible. Now, this has been going on, it seems, for 2,000 years. Come on, Christians, pick up that Bible. You need to read it. You need to study it. Come on, Christians, you need to pick up that Bible. You need to read it, and you need to study it. Now, we could ask, why has there been such an effort to try to get Christians to read it and study it? Why? Why does it require so much effort and so much work? Well, clearly, there seems to be a problem with a lot of Christians just naturally doing this. So all of these sermons, all of these books, etc., 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 have been produced to try to say, come on, read and study. The second goal of all of these sermons and books, etc., has been to try to give Christians some basic principles in how to read and how to study the Bible, sometimes it'll be four principles, sometimes it will be five, but they 're usually pretty straightforward, very simple, and they 're like, "Come on, this is you need to remember these principles, and this will help you study the Bible, and this will help you read it so that you can understand it all right that nothing about that can be disputed that 's just a part of Christian history. And you can hear this kind of stuff all the time. But here's my question to you. When it comes to these principles and how to read and study the Bible, are these principles accurate? Are these principles helpful? Or is it possible that some of these principles that have been taught time after time after time and sermon after sermon, book after book, devotional after devotional, podcast after podcast, radio broadcast after radio broadcast is it possible that many of these principles are actually hurtful misleading and actually lead to confusion actually hurt christians ability to understand the bible they actually cause christians to become confused and they lead to more problems than they lead to good is that possible Now the reason I'm asking this question is just a few minutes ago, I was listening to Christian radio and they came on with, I think it was four guidelines and how to study the Bible. I think it was four guidelines. And I was listening to these guidelines and I was like, wait, 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 okay, I'm not so sure about that one. Oh, I'm definitely, I definitely know that is not correct. And so as I was listening to these guidelines, I started trying to think if I was a brand new Christian and I took these guidelines that I just heard on Christian radio, I wrote these guidelines down and I started trying to apply them to my Christian life and apply them to my Bible study and reading time, would it help me understand the Bible more or would it lead to confusion? How would it help me in my understanding of the role of a pastor how would it help me understand the role of a Bible teacher? Would it would it take away their view of, like, I would look at them as, well, they're not really necessary, I mean, they're helpful, but I don't really need them. Um, how, how would it impact me overall in my spiritual life? And how would, uh, and this is very critical, how would it impact my understanding of hermeneutics, bib- principles of biblical interpretation? Did the guidelines that that I heard this morning, did they actually help or were they actually hurt? And it's hard to try to think back to when I was a young Christian, but I guarantee you that if I would have heard some of these principles when I was a young Christian, because some of those principles I actually believed when I was a young Christian, I know this for a fact. They did not help me. They led to confusion and some of those principles I completely reject today. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to play for you what I heard this morning. It is about four minutes and 50 seconds long. I'm going to play it for you. Then I'm simply going to come back and offer two challenges, two challenges to what you're going to hear. But I I want you to hear it for yourself and see if you can determine, wait that no that i don't know if that's accurate no that's not accurate now for some of you you're going to hear these guidelines and you're going to be like that's awesome i'm going to start putting these into practice right now in like, fact like this is the best thing i've ever heard in my life and some of you are going to say wait a minute um i i believe all of these guidelines i believe all the, all these principles how is he going to challenge them and then some of you especially those who attend victory baptist church you're probably going to start laughing when you hear this and going, "Well, I know he's not going to like that one, and I know he rejects that one it will be the It would be interesting to watch a group of people from different backgrounds and different locations listen to this together and watch their facial expressions and see which ones would shake their heads in agreement, which one would shake their heads in disagreement. It would be funny, um, but yes, I think. I think the, the reason I want to play this for you is I think it's just a good example that within Christianity, this kind of stuff happens all the time. This is on Christian radio all the time. This is in sermons all the time of, of someone, they, their intentions are good. Come on, Christians, read that Bible. Hey, here's some principles to help you. They have good intentions, but if the principles are not sound, if you're not giving people sound hermeneutical instruction, then all you're doing is causing greater confusion and harm to the church, to the body of Christ, and to individual Christians that only lead them to mishandling God's word, twisting God's word, wrestling God's word away from what it actually says to something else. We've got enough Bible twisting going on in American Christianity that we need better guidelines. And here's the thing, I'm just gonna say this. If you want to help Christians study the Bible, you're probably going to have to do more than give them four minutes and 30 seconds of guidelines. They're probably going to need a little bit more. Now, I understand when you have a little devotional program on Christian radio that's only four minutes long. That's the, only, that, that's the time you have. But here's what I would do. Maybe do five programs or four programs and dedicate each program to that guideline or that principle. Then you could possibly articulate it a little bit better. But in some of the cases, in some of the ones you're about to hear... I don't care if they had two hours. I think the principle itself is flawed. But you listen for yourself. Here we go. I heard this on Christian Radio just a little while ago. This is their guidelines into how to study the Bible. It's about four minutes and 50 seconds long. When it concludes, I'll come back and offer my two challenges. Here we go. Listen carefully. Take a break from your busy schedule and join Bonnie Sala, our guest host for Guidelines for Living.
1: You only have five minutes in the morning. Then you head for work, come home tired at the end of the day, and fall exhausted into bed. Your conscience nags at you a bit, and you really want to pick up your Bible and spend a few minutes reading. But can I really get anything out of this in five or ten minutes? You ask yourself as you debate even bothering. Here are five tried and true guidelines which will help you. Make a note of these four words. They are attitude, observation, interpretation, and application. Guideline number one, your attitude is the key to using that time profitably. As you sit down, your first battle is with your thoughts which flood your mind and break your concentration. Shut out the rest of the day and focus on what you are reading. Then ask God to speak to you. The depth of your encounter with the Bible is far more important than its length. Some say read the Bible through every year, and there are various reading plans for accomplishing this. But more importantly than plowing through chapters or books on a schedule, is digging in until God has impressed his truth on you whether it is in the first 10 verses or several chapters. Guideline number two, observation. You have to observe what you are reading and understand it to profit from it. How many times have we all read something and not remembered one thing? Like the seed which falls on the wayside, our frenetic schedules keep our minds spinning, choking out any meaningful understanding. How easy is it for our minds to race on to the day's agenda instead of concentrating on those moments with God's Word? If you're losing the battle of concentration, then try reading the book out loud. As you read, try to note names, who wrote what and to whom, geographic locations, and historical reference. Often a short commentary, such as Wycliffe's Bible Commentary, which is even free online, helps a lot. If you're a new Christian, start with the Gospel of John and go on to the book of Acts to get an overall picture. But no matter what you do, don't ignore the Old Testament, which points forward to the New Testament. Guideline number three is interpretation. What does it mean? Generally, this clearest, simplest interpretation is the correct one. Some would have you think that only those with great spiritual insights can understand the Bible. Someone trying to convince an audience that he has insights which others have not been spiritual enough to gain are suspect. God did not give his book to theologians, but to common, ordinary people. And common, ordinary meanings are usually right on target. Guideline number four, application. How do I apply this great truth to my life? Most of what the Bible says is straightforward. God's purpose in giving us this magnificent book is to help us know how to live. Healthy living, God's plan, His blueprint, all of these are part of His will for us that is revealed in the Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you answer the question, what does this mean in my life? Did you know that is one of the Holy Spirit's roles? John 16, 13 says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. The Bible also says of itself, the Word of God is living and active. George Mueller, a great man of the Christian faith, once wrote, I have read the Bible through 100 times and always with increasing delight. Each time it seems like a new book to me. Spend time with the Bible. You'll find it's unlike any book you have ever read.
0: You've just heard Guidelines for Living. If you would like to hear more encouraging devotionals and stories of changed lives around the world, visit guidelines.org. That's also where you can join the Guidelines team in delivering the life-changing message of Jesus. Go to guidelines.org to see how you can impact the world with the hope of the gospel. Thanks for listening and join us again next time for Guidelines for Living. Well, there you go. Four guidelines. They provided you four guidelines that they want you to use every time you read and study the Bible. What did you think? Did you agree with all four guidelines or did you hear some things within those guidelines that made you go, wait a minute, I'm not so sure about that. Did you hear some things within those guidelines that you just completely reject and you believe are false and completely wrong. What what are your thoughts about those four guidelines? Now, I obviously could say something about every single guideline. I could turn this into a two-hour lecture about hermeneutics and how some of these guidelines are horrible and should be rejected. But I made a promise to everyone, right? I said, I'm going to give you two challenges. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to focus on two things that was said in the clip that you just heard. I'm gonna focus on two statements. Then I'm gonna look at a number of scriptures to kinda challenge those two statements and to maybe challenge you to look at them a little differently. And the reason we're going through this exercise is because that little Four minute, four minute, 30 second clip that you just listened to. That kind of, those kinds of principles, those kinds of guidelines, they are so common in churches all across the United States of America. I mean, this is almost like the air you breathe. If you're a Christian and you're within the Christian world and you read Christian books, listen to sermons, listen to Christian radio, these concepts, they're literally like almost they're almost placed somewhere in the back of your brain and they become a part of your nature. You're just like, oh yeah, that's the way I think. Talk to your Christian friends about these guidelines and I'm telling you, they'll be like, those guidelines are great. I use those guidelines every day. So I wanna challenge them because I don't believe some of those guidelines are helpful and I believe some of those guidelines need to be completely rejected. Because within those guidelines, there's kind of a philosophy about the Bible. There's kind of a philosophy being promoted about how to do Bible interpretation and how to do hermeneutics. Are you ready? All right now listen carefully, all right? One of the statements made in the clip that you just heard was this. God did not give his word to theologians, but to common ordinary people. And usually common ordinary meanings are right on target. Let me read that let me read that again. God did not give his word to theologians but to common ordinary people and usually common ordinary meanings are right on target. Now that is such a common way of thinking Within the Protestant world, for non-Catholics, this is the way they think. I don't, I don't need some theologian. In fact, you'll even hear pastors almost sometimes brag, I'm not a theologian. It's like, it's like within modern-day Christianity, within the Protestant world, for many, theologians is almost a, that's a bad thing, right? We don't need theologians. They're, they're the ones who complicate the Bible. They're the ones who make it too difficult. When you get down to it, the Bible is simple, Anyone can understand the Bible. I don't need all of that. Now, now there is an inherent problem with this way of thinking, all right? First of all, there is a biblical problem with this way of thinking, all right? Let me give you a couple of scriptures just to show you. Now, again, their argument is, hey, God didn't give his Bible to theologians. He gave it to ordinary people, which implies that it can just be easily understood by every ordinary people. And the ordinary meaning, that's usually right on target. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. Any ordinary person can just pick it up and understand it. that That's the implication. That is, the, that is what's being implied. There's a philosophy that is coming through right there. You may not hear the philosophy, but if you know what to listen for, that philosophy is loud and clear, and I believe there's a biblical problem with it. Let me give you some scriptures here to, to explain this to you. First, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. I'll be reading from the King James. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto to you. All right, Peter here, now there, there's getting into a discussion here about the long suffering of the Lord, salvation, but he talks about this idea of salvation that Paul, speaking of the Apostle Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Paul has written about this subject of salvation. Paul himself has written about this. But listen to how Peter describes Paul's writings. As also in all his epistles, Now, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, all right? So, as in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to be understood. Peter himself is saying some things Paul wrote were hard to be understood. And listen, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or wrestle as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Now that is the words of scripture. That's not the words of someone on Christian radio going, Hey, God didn't give his word to theologians. He gave it to ordinary people. And guess what? The ordinary meaning is usually right on target. Peter comes along and says, Hey, Paul wrote to you about salvation. And in all of his epistles, guess what? There's things that are hard to understand, and that the unlearned person, unlearned, hmm, that's interesting. Unstable. Now we can take that apart. They wrestle these scriptures to their own destruction. If Peter says some things Paul wrote are hard to understand, then who am I, or who is anyone on Christian radio, to come along and go, hey, 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 the it's just or, the ordinary meaning is right on target. This is just for ordinary people. Peter wasn't, be, wouldn't have been quote unquote an ordinary person considering he was taught by Jesus and was an apostle. All right. And I think we have to be very careful. It's not always so simple and so ordinary. And if that is true of the writings of Paul, what about the book of Isaiah? of the, many of the minor prophets, Ezekiel, parts of Daniel. I mean, we could go on and on. There's, there's section after section in the Bible that you have to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's complicated. Wait, that's complicated. Wait, that's a little complicated. Now, of course, yes. If you just approach the Bible that, Hey, it's just, you know, it's so simple, you know, it's for ordinary people. It's no big deal. I will say this. There are some things in the Bible that, yes, that the ordinary meaning seems to be right on target and that it's very clear and that people can understand. I do agree that there's many things in the Bible like that. However, when you start taking one ordinary thing and another ordinary thing and putting them together, trying to make sure you're being consistent in your doctrine and your theology, you'll understand that the complications begin to arise. And just some of the writings of Paul, if you don't think that they're not complicated, then you're not reading them Correctly, I I just I don't I don't think that view is biblical. Hey hey, you know it's one it it well it's not biblical because Peter himself says that things that Paul wrote that are hard to understand. I don't I don't know how, how how I mean do I need a better argument? I think that I think that's a good one. But there is a second biblical problem with what was said there. There is a second biblical problem, and that is found and the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, once again coming from the King James. Speaking of Christ, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. Christ gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers now all of those those offices all of those roles are teaching uh, teaching offices at their very core that's what they're supposed to do the apostles taught, prophets taught, evangelists taught, pastors taught and teachers taught they all had a role in teaching and instructing now why did he give these men to the church? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. All right, what's my point? The point is... Christ understood the church would need men to instruct them and teach them. There is a, there's kind of a common attitude within a lot of the Protestant world. And it goes like this. Me, myself, and my Bible is all I need. Me, myself, and my Bible. Now, they may add something like this. Me, myself, the Holy Spirit and my Bible is all I need. We'll get to that in a minute. But they'll say something like, me, myself, and the Holy Spirit and my Bible it's all I need. I don't need some pastor to teach me. I don't need some theologian to teach me. I don't need some seminary professor. I can figure this out because the attitude is God gave the Bible to the ordinary person and I don't need any of that. Now, what this causes is a, a how can you say this? I don't want to go full-fledged and say disrespect, but it it lessens the importance of pastors and teachers in the eyes of many people. They view the pastor as kind of like, okay, that's his job, but you know what? I don't have to agree with him because I can interpret this book just as just as easily as he can. Now, on one hand, we would like to say that, yes, any Christian who who studies and learns principles of interpretation has the ability to interpret the Bible. I'm not saying it's they are incapable of doing so. But I will say this. In every field, in every area of expertise in our culture, we believe that a doctor who goes to medical school has greater knowledge about medicine and about health care than maybe the average person does because they have dedicated their life to studying, they went to school, they have an advanced degree. Now, it doesn't mean doctors are always perfect. I understand that. You would think someone who went to school and learned how to work on cars and is a certified mechanic may have a greater understanding than the average person. Now, I know you can always try to find an exception here or there. But what we, what we typically say is a person who's dedicated their life to a certain field of study, got the education, got the training, is probably going to know a little bit more. But in many churches, the pastor is not even really viewed as an expert on scripture. They're just kind of viewed as the, as the leader or not even really as a leader, just kind of as the, the uh, figurehead, right? They're just kind of the symbolic figurehead of the church. Well, we're supposed to go to church and we're supposed to have a pastor, but oh, I can disagree anytime I want and I don't have to listen to anything he has to say. There is an attitude inherent with that. And the attitude is, I don't need a pastor, I don't need a theologian, because God gave the scripture for the common person to understand. I don't need a seminary education. I mean, what's the benefit of a seminary education when God gave his word for ordinary people? Why do I need to, why do I need to listen to someone who went to seminary? Why do I need to, uh, someone who, who studied the original languages? Why do I need to talk to someone who studied systematic theology, biblical theology, historical theology. Why do I need someone who who studied all of these things? I don't need all of that because God gave his word for ordinary people and ordinary people can understand it. But the scriptures are like, wait a minute, Christ gave to the church, apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers, for the equipping, for the building up of the body of Christ to ensure that we're no more children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. See, there is an implication here that, hey, all you need is your Bible and all you need is yourself. And now they're going to imply you also need the Holy Spirit. And with that, you've got it all figured out. This is, a, this is an inherent issue. Now, I know just, just the fact that I'm even challenging this, there's going to be people who listen to this are going to lose their mind on me and say, no, no, this is crazy. But I'm telling you, we, just think about it from a logical perspective. There's got to be people who have a greater understanding in how to, how to handle the scriptures than the average person. The ordinary person, probably not sitting around reading hermeneutical textbooks. They're not sitting around reading systematic theologies. Now, they have the ability to do so, and they have the ability to gain that knowledge, and they have the ability to exercise themselves in the interpretation of the Bible and learning these things, but most Christians will not do that. So, instead of being arrogant, saying, hey, I don't need all of this stuff, maybe say, so view that the fact that God gave the church and equipped the church with pastors and teachers and men who are supposed to be qualified. Instead of seeing that as some kind of some threat to your, you know, your, your ego or your pride or your ability to, to just believe whatever you want, see it as an act of mercy. God in his mercy gave you the church and equipped it with teachers. Show humility. Show respect to those leaders. Now, if those leaders prove not to be an expert in the scriptures, that's a different problem. If they prove to be mishandling the scriptures, but you've got to be careful. Accusing a leader of mishandling the scriptures simply because you disagree with them is not a fair accusation. That doesn't mean they're mishandling it. That just means they're handling it in a way that you don't agree with. What makes you think your understanding trumps their understanding? What makes you think your understanding is greater than theirs? Have you studied it as much as they have? Are you an expert in it? I see this just there. I mean, I know this was so subtle, but just to tell everyone, tell the just think about it as a new Christian. Hey, the Bible—it's not for theologians. Immediately, it's like you're just dismissing the theologian. Like, if the Bible's not for the theologian, then then do we need the theologian or not? It's just for the ordinary people, and the ordinary way of understanding it is typically on target. All right. You you follow that principle and see where you end up. I just know Peter tells me there's some things hard to be understood, and as someone who's been reading and studying the Bible for pretty much my entire adult life, (laughs) yeah, yeah, there's still things I can't figure out. There's still things I don't understand. I stand behind the pulpit all the time and go, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not so sure about that. Oh, I don't really know about that. And I don't view that as, as, as a, I don't care if it makes people go, well, you know, if you don't know, I don't care. I don't care if it makes me look weak. I don't care if it makes me look foolish. I don't care if it makes me look dumb because what I want to show everyone is we all need to have an attitude of humility going, we've got to do our best to figure this book out and always be willing to realize our knowledge is limited And we need to listen to anyone who is an expert on it to see what they think. It doesn't mean we have to agree with the expert. It just means we have to go, wait a minute, if they're saying it, I need to do even more study than they did to figure out why they said that and try to figure out why I'm disagreeing with it. I think it's very subtle. The Bible clearly implies God gave people to teach. And obviously the understanding there is he wants you to listen to those teachers. He wants you to, to listen, to learn from them. All right? Now, I'm not trying to argue for, for a magisterial um, position like within Catholicism. Catholicism basically says the only people who can give an authoritative interpretation of the Bible is the magisterium. And everyone in the church is bound by the magisterium's uh, interpretation of the text. I know Protestants reject that. But Protestants, I think, in many cases went too far to the other extreme saying, I don't need anybody. I know more than, I know more than everyone. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. It's me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit, and that's all I need. There there is an inherent philosophical issue here, and hopefully, hopefully, you are, hopefully you will understand that, all right? So, that's problem Number one, I know I know my challenges here are getting well it's all the same challenge. So let me read their their quote again. God did not give his word to theologians but to common ordinary people, and usually common ordinary meanings are right on target now again, it was a four minute and fifty second little devotional idea if they If they expounded on that, maybe they would pull back a little bit and explain that they're not dismissing theologians they're not dismissing you know Bible teachers. Um, but the, the, there is an inherent philosophy there that is so common within the Protestant world. I can't help, but going, wait a minute, we need to pause right there and we need to clarify that. Okay. So there, that's, that's more of something that needs clarification more than outright rejection. But I do reject the idea that the Bible is just, you know, easy to understand because that's almost implied there as well. All right. (laughs) Here's the second statement made, and this is the one I have major problems with. When it comes, I think, to the application guideline, they said something like this. Ask the Holy Spirit what this means for my life. Ask the Holy Spirit what it means for your life. This is so common within the Protestant world. I, I can't even tell you how how often this is quoted. Uh, they even made reference to the scripture, John chapter 16, verse 13. I'll read from the King James, John chapter 16, verse 13. How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. John chapter 16, verse 13. This is a common philosophy within the Protestant world. It goes something like this. Whenever I'm trying to figure out the Bible, whenever I'm trying to understand it, all I need to do is pray because the Spirit of God will lead me into all truth. Now, that sounds so spiritual. It sounds so pious. But to me, listen, I'm, I'm going to make a lot of people mad. It's absolute garbage. It's heretical. It's heresy. It's misleading. It's damaging. It's damning. We must reject it. I know I use some strong words there and I and I don't I don't do not pull back. Let me explain here's what happens. All right. So you're a Christian, all right? You're trying to study the Bible and you hear this idea. All you have to do is you ask God and the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Okay, how does this work? All right? So you're sitting in your study, or you're sitting somewhere at the kitchen table, sitting out on the back porch, you've got a Bible, you've got a notebook, and, and you're trying to figure some things out, and you're like, Lord, I just don't understand this. I don't understand this, help me understand this. I don't know why You know why it would be so complicated, because remember, the Bible is just given to ordinary people, and the ordinary meaning is all you need, so I don't know why you're struggling, but okay, and it's interesting that they place this in the application part. They didn't place this in the interpret- interpretation part, uh, but so, for the application, I need to ask God what it means for my life. So, but I guess in the interpretation part, I can do it on my own. I don't know. Some pastors and some teachers will place this in the interpretation part, but one of the key elements of interpretation is relying on the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. Wherever you place it, wherever the guideline shows up, you end up with the same problem. So, let me again set up my scenario. You're in your study, you're at your kitchen table, you're in the back porch, you're studying the Bible. Okay, maybe you're in one of the minor prophets. Maybe, you're, you know, maybe you're, you're sitting here looking at one of the minor prophets. You know, maybe it's Hosea, maybe it's Joel, maybe it's Amos. I'm just slipping through them. Uh, Habakkuk, you know, Zephaniah, just any one of those, right? And, you, and you're reading that and you're like, what, I, what, what is going on? What are these? Okay, if you know the minor prophets, people in Victory Baptist Church will get the joke. Okay, um, what are these? What, what is going on? oh, wait a minute, Lord, I don't understand this. I need your spirit. Holy Spirit, lead me into all truth. Now, how does this work? Does all of a sudden God speak to you audibly and say, whatever your name is, Susan, you know, Joe, Kevin, Robert, whatever the name is. Here is the interpretation of the text. And you're like, okay, okay, wait, wait, let me grab my, let me grab my notepad. Let me grab, okay, give me the interpretation. Does God speak to you audibly the interpretation? Obviously not. So this is what you're left with. It's whatever thought comes into your mind or whatever feeling you get. You get a feeling, a thought pops into your mind and voila, voila. That's the interpretation. Now, listen to what happens. The minute you say that you couldn't understand it, you prayed, and God gave you the interpretation, now your interpretation, by default, becomes authoritative. Because your interpretation comes directly from the Holy Spirit. So it's it's going to trump any pastor. It's going to trump any Bible teacher. It's going to trump any theologian because God gave you the interpretation directly. No, so that's, it's over. It's over. So they're going to be like, that's my interpretation. I I asked the spirit of God would lead me into all truth. I've got it. But it's, it's some internal feeling. It's some internal thought. How do you know that internal feeling and that internal thought was God and not just your own mind or your own feelings? How do you distinguish the two? You'll spend more time trying to figure out, wait, is that, was that God telling me that? or was that? But I, I guess some Christians don't even bother to consider whether it was God or it, whether it was them. They're just like, I didn't understand it. I've, I've even had Christians tell me this. I'll be like I'm struggling with this passage. Well, just pray about it. Pray about it and what's going to happen. All of a sudden I'm going to feel it, I'm going to understand it, and I'm going to and I'm going to accredit that that God gave me that interpretation. Like that whole process is so convoluted, so broken that I don't know how anyone would ever understand anything about the Bible and trying to apply such a crazy concept. But see, it makes you the authority. See this destroys church leadership. This destroys and this destroys everything because it's just like I've got the Holy Spirit and I I figured out the text. Okay? Well, congratulations. And here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit was supposedly leading all Christians into truth and he's been doing so for 2000 years, could you please explain to me why Christianity is still so divided? He's leading us into all truth. Really? We still can't agree on baptism. We still can't agree on the Lord's Supper. We still can't agree on some basic elements of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. We can't agree on eschatology. We can't agree, uh, that's end times. We can't agree on ecclesiology. Uh, uh, that's the structure of the church. We basically can't agree on anything. We disagree, disagree. Well, wait, how can how can so many different Christians have so many different opinions if all of us are being led into all truth by the same Holy Spirit. No, that promise in John chapter 16 had to deal with the apostles. He was going to lead them into all truth because they were ultimately going to be responsible, many of them, for writing the New Testament, being a major foundation to the early church. He was going to show them things to come. This was giving the apostolic, the promise of the Spirit, and how he was going to work in the apostles, they were going to be given God was going to lead them into all truth because he was going to use them in the process of inspiration they were he, God was going to use the process of inspiration, breathing out his word into them so that they wrote what god wanted that that 's the best way to understand that, applying that to every Christian, you end up with spiritual anarchy well. I was studying that passage, and this is the interpretation God gave me. Okay, well, we're done. I can't argue that. Your interpretation comes directly from God. My interpretation came from five hours of study. You win. Give up. Let's move on. So you probably should go start your church, right? Go start your church now because, hey, I don't know where your interpretation came from, but you told me it came from God, so... Probably go start your church because you know you 've got God interpretation, and I only got you know five hours of study of interpretation mine loses that that 's the chaos that happens and and Christians who hold to this never think this through, but that principle has to be rejected it has to be rejected if you want to understand the Bible, if you want biblical understanding it 's going to come from interpretation it 's not going to come from some waiting for a feeling, waiting for something inside of you. Now I could go I could go a lot further with all of these guidelines. But let me just review really quick, all right? Here we go. The first thing they one of the first statements, not the first statement they made, but the first statement that I wanted to point out uh, in the clip that you heard a little while ago, about 20 minutes ago now, cuz I've been talking for a long time, is this. Are you ready? God did not give his word to theologians, but to common, ordinary people. And usually, common, ordinary meanings are right on target. Again, there is a, a philosophy here. This one needs to be clarified more than anything. Um, I do reject kind of the dismissing of the theologian. And I do outright dismiss that the ordinary meaning is always the right way. Because 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16 Peter writing, and I'll just read part of it, speaking of Paul and all of his epistles, speaking in them those things which are some things hard to be understood. Peter acknowledges some things Paul wrote were hard to be understood. I will argue that a good portion of the Bible, there are things hard to be understood, and it requires some work. It requires time. It requires effort. It requires study. It requires uh, principles of interpretation. I, it's, it's not that simple. All right. Another uh, issue that I have with that is Ephesians four. Obviously, if the scriptures were just given to ordinary people and ordinary people could just understand it, then why did he give pastors, teachers, and evangelists? Why did he equip the church with spiritual leaders to teach the scriptures? Well, I think he, he wanted dedicated people studying the Bible so they could present the teachings to the people. Right? I, I think that's the way I'm not saying the ordinary people can't study it, and the ordinary people can't understand large portions of it, but there still has to be some reason that their qualified men are to be placed in positions of, of teaching leadership so that they teach the people. Because they're an area there there they has to be experts in the study of the text. All right. And then the second thing they said: um, ask the Holy Spirit what this means for my life. They quote John chapter 16, verse 13, with the implication is, hey, you ask God what it means. You ask the Holy Spirit what it means, and magically, he will tell you what it means. Now, they placed it in the role of application. Lord, what does this mean for my life? Well, here's, here's the issue. I've heard people say that they've done that, right? I've heard people be reading in Jeremiah, you know, those famous passages. I know the plans I have for your life. Uh, the, the, the plans to bless you, right? Those th- those passages in Jeremiah, which have nothing to do with you, have nothing to do with me. They had everything to do with the people who were coming out of Babylonian captivity. This was a promise God made to them. I've heard Christians say, I was, you know, I, I didn't know how it applies to my life. And then I was praying and God was telling me that he has a plan for my life as far as my work to bless me. And I'm like, no, 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 he doesn't. He does it. That's not... That's not what that passage is about. I've told the story a countless number of times. Worked with a woman. She could not get pregnant. She was greatly discouraged by this. She came to work one day and she's like, God spoke to me this morning. It was so beautiful having my morning devotional. And I, I read where God promised Abraham and Sarah a baby. And I'm like, yeah. Well, I'm claiming that promise for me. God's, God's told me that promise is for me. No, God didn't tell you that promise is for you because that promise has nothing to do with you because your name is not Abraham or Sarah. That's not for you. But yet, but some of these guidelines, that's what it leads to. Hey, how does this apply to my life, Lord? Just tell me. Tell me how it applies to my life. No, here's the thing. Use common biblical methods of interpretation Common biblical methods of application and figure out how it applies to your life, or if it even does apply to your life. It may be there to instruct you in the lives of these people and what they did and what happened. It may not be giving, handing you some promise that you can claim for yourself. All right, it's just I just wanted to look at this this morning. As soon as I heard it, I knew I had to record. I hope this will be beneficial. I know I know everything. I'm. It's just sad. It's just sad that everything I'm saying is considered controversial in 2019. It's sad that I even feel like I, that. there's a part of me that's like, I don't even want to post this. It's going to cause so much drama. Why should it cause drama? Everything I'm saying is sound, biblical, historical Christianity. Right? No. You need people to teach you. Right? There's godly men who are placed in positions of leadership that are supposed to be thoroughly equipped to handle the scriptures and to teach the scriptures. They should be trained and know how to handle it and know how to teach it, right? Doesn't mean you can't study the Bible. Doesn't mean you can't interpret the Bible. It just means you need to sometimes be humble to those who are placed in a position that they hopefully have greater training and greater understanding. And you can learn from them and see them as a blessing, not see them as somehow killing your freedom. And secondly, We need to understand that the scriptures themselves say that there's things hard to be understood. I'm not going to go through all the points again. It's just, it's just, I guess my frustration is I feel like I have to explain myself 500 different ways and 500 different ways because there's going to be people like, no, no, I can't help the fact that you've been taught and clearly wrong um, about many of these issues. These, these kinds of guidelines and these kinds of philosophies that came through in these guidelines dominates American Christianity. And fighting against it sometimes feels about as useless as trying to, you know, stand in front of a tsunami, right? Here comes this giant tsunami and I'm just going to stand in front of it and I'm going to stop it from hitting the beach. Well, I'm just going to be washed away and killed. Trying to stand against the philosophy that, that absolutely infects every area of Christianity in 2019 and trying to stand against it. It's like standing against a hurricane, a tornado, a tsunami. You're just, you're, just, you're, just, you're just knocked out of the way. I'm just, I'm a nothing. I'm just blown out of the way. And Christianity is going to continue to creep full toward the abyss in some cases. American Christianity just seems like it's seconds away from falling over and to turning into something that doesn't even look like Christianity. I think we're already seeing that. But these guidelines are the reason you have so much spiritual anarchy in the church today. It's it's just a mess. All right, I'll stop right there. Just some of my thoughts on this Saturday morning. Please let me let me know what you think. You can email me at newsif at yahoo. I don't even know. Should I give out my address? Newsif at yahoo.com. News at yahoo.com. If you would like more content, sermons, church history, hermeneutics, get the VBC 66 app, go to the Apple App Store. Or the Google Play Store, do a search for VBC66, VBC66, download the app. There, there is a lot of things I want to record about. Um, I've wanted to record about over the past few days. The attempts to record have not gone well. I've been frustrated with everything that I have produced, deleted 90% of them. I'm not even happy with this one, but I got to post something. So um, I will try to catch up. That We have a Beth Moore controversy we need to talk about. Oh, yes. We have a Bethmore controversy, and that controversy, what we're going to do when we talk about it is we're not going to look at the controversy itself. We're going to look at the philosophy behind it because the philosophy behind it, yeah, we have a problem in the American church and that we need to talk about so um yeah we've got we got a lot of issues we need to get to, but thank you for listening to this episode of the hermeneutics One o one podcast. Hopefully it was a challenge, even if you didn't disagree well. You know, I guess I can't say that it's always easy to to disagree with someone when I guess God is giving you direct revelation and interpretation of the Bible. You know, (laughs) I guess I guess you'll always be right and I'll never be right. But I accept that. I accept that. I just think we need better guidelines and how to handle the Bible and how to interpret the Bible. And I think the guidelines presented had some deep rooted philosophical flaws that needed to either be clarified or outright rejected. I think I've made my case, hopefully I did. God bless.